love music. Live sport. The line out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening, Wednesday night, Rock Sport Radio. That means it's time for me, Lewis Stewart, with this week's edition of the Line Out Your Guide to everything that's going on in Scottish rugby. And it's a busy old time as well, because, of course, we've got the World Cup coming up, and that's going to be really exciting. I leave the country on Friday to go and uh, cover what the Scotland team, well, mostly the Scotland team, are up to in Japan. Looking forward to that. Should be very exciting. Not only lots of big games to look forward to, but, of course, a little dose of Japanese culture as well. Uh, lots of that coming over the next few weeks on Rocksport Radio, and it's going to be hopefully uh, very entertaining for everybody. Of course, the team are already out in Japan. Uh, we've seen pictures being uh, put out by them of their first training session this morning in Nagasaki, uh, a place, incidentally, I don't know if they know this, that has very strong Scottish connections, thanks to one Thomas Blake Glover, who hails from, or hailed from Fraserburgh at the beginning of the 19th century, who uh, went out there and established himself as one of the big traders in the area in a number of industries, ranging all the way from mining through railways and all the way to beer as well and had a role in the setting up of the Mitsubishi company which of course is still going strong so there are plenty of local connections for them to get stuck into in between and around the training that is going on the other big development that they've had in the last uh, 24 hours or so is that Jamie Ritchie who picked up a face injury in the game against Georgia on uh, last Friday night has eventually flown out to join them. Now this is interesting because Magnus Bradbury who had initially travelled with the team in his place is not yet coming home the two of them are going to be in camp together now of course you're only allowed to have 31 players in the camp so one of them is going to have to return to this country I am told by World Rugby that basically the position is that Scotland have until Saturday to make up their minds and then one of them will have to come back and the other one will stay. And I think it's clear that if he is fit at all, then Jamie Ritchie is the one who will stay, not least because the Scotland team have got plenty of players who offer very much the same playing style as Magnus Bradbury, uh, whereas Jamie Ritchie is really the only thing that looks anything like specialist open side cover for Hamish Watson. Now, as I said, Richie did hurt his face in that big win over Georgia last Friday. Quick recap for you in case uh, you've been off on planet Klingon or somewhere like that and missed the whole thing. A uh, couple of tries in the first half, Ali Price and Blair Kinghorn. Uh, both uh, interesting, I thought, that uh, the way that Adam Hastings helped set the two of them up. It was a good performance from him all round, although he did make mistakes. I think on the whole, the positives more than outweighed the negatives. 
But they struggled in the first half. They were certainly well down on the possession and territory front. Uh, the Georgian pack did what the Georgian pack was expected to do and gave them a bit of a hurry up. But as the game wore on, they began to play a lot better. And in the second half, Sam Johnson, Darcy Graham and both the Horn brothers, George and Peter, crossed for tries to make it a pretty impressive 36-9 win at the end with Matt Taylor, the defence coach, celebrating the fact that they hadn't actually conceded a try all the Georgian points coming from penalty kicks. Afterwards, Gregor Townsend said he was broadly satisfied. The team, after all, was far from first choice, and it did jealous away game where wore on, and it ended out as a wee bit of a romp. He saw lots of things that needed to be put right, but at the same time, there was an awful lot that went that did go right, and they went off to Japan feeling pretty happy with themselves. Now, I'm going to go back to Japan and talk a bit more about that. But before I do that, I think the other thing we need to get into is events that are going on in Scotland. While all that was happening, uh, we and while the team is out in Japan, the Pro 14 is going to get going later this month. And both Edinburgh and Glasgow are gearing up for it, with Edinburgh producing the big news of the week when they were able to announce that the City of Edinburgh Council have at long last given permission for them to build their stadium on the back pitches at Murrayfield. Now, this is a project that's been underway for 14 months or more and has hit all sorts of administrative roadblocks one way or the other. The bureaucracy has been far more complicated than the business of actually building the stadium itself, which means that it is going to arrive far too late for this season, which was the original hope, but it is going to be, we would expect, in place for next season. So when I grabbed hold of Richard Cockrell, the first question was obviously to ask him how important this announcement is and this stadium is for the medium to long term future of the club. We just want to to build our own identity and have our own stadium as part of that. So, um, look, it's um, obviously there's, there's, it's hit a few glitches in the last 12, 18 months, and we, we're glad that it's passed. Look, it's nothing we can control from a performance point of view. We just get on with um, training and playing. But um, you know, hopefully by the start of next season, we'll have a new home and we can start to have um, you know we can start to sell out crowds and um, we can have uh, you know uh, our, our own um, our own colour scheme and our own and our own um, uh, look on the stadium. It's, it's what it's what we need, and it's something that we need to build on. Um, look, it's a great stadium playing in, in, in the main stadium, but um, you know we uh, we can probably sell out seven, seven, eight every week if we if we get it right, and um, we can build a, an atmosphere that's a bit more hostile to come and play in front of. Do you need to? have a more successful season this season than you did last season in order to get the ticket sales up to the sort of level you need? Well, I think if you average the the, the season out, we, we would be selling around that seven 8,000. So, um, look, we've just got to keep developing our game. We we had some big games last year that um, against big teams that we won. So, look, in the end, was it a slightly disappointing season? Well, maybe so, because we didn't reach playoffs in the league that we did the year before. Um, but we, we it was different context because of Europe and um, getting to a quarter-final. And, and we... we, we, we played against and beat some very big teams last year 
um, that consistency um, across the season and beating um, uh, teams that uh, maybe we, we think we should beat, we've, we've got to get better at and win the games that we should win and, and knock off some of the bigger teams when we get the chance. We've not got the biggest squad and we've not got the biggest budget, so um, to lose a whole forward pack and, and some is always going to be difficult for us. We've got some good lads left over and we, we've been working hard to, to um, start the season um, in, uh, you know, with a very competitive team that hopefully is going to pick up as many points as it can. So I don't think any team can uh, honestly say they, they know exactly what it's going to, it's going to look like because um, some teams aren't missing many, some teams are missing I know, a dozen or so or more. Um, so it's um, some part of it, part of parts of it. A look of the draw on on um, the fixture list, and um, you know, post World Cup, who's resting and who has to rest, and all those things. So it's um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic, and we, we've just got to manage and, and deal with what's in front of us week to week. Richard Cockerell reflecting on the advantages of their new stadium. There, uh, of course, they do have a season coming up. They play the Ospreys at Murrayfield, the main international pitch, this weekend, and then a fortnight later, they play Zebra in their opening Pro 14 match. So, on the whole, he's had to work very hard this pre-season. Uh, the end of last season, after their heroics in the Europe, as he was talking about there, did rather fall away in the last uh, month, six weeks or so, and they ended up getting nothing much from the season, failing to make the playoffs in the Pro 14 and failing to get into the Champions Cup this season, which I suppose in some ways, as you said, they don't have the biggest budget. The Challenge Cup may actually make life a wee bit easier. When they qualified for the Champions Cup, it was in the end of a Challenge Cup season when they were able to use the European weekends to experiment and to rest their key players. But in the meantime, it is a question of how the preparations for the season have gone. Richard Cockrell again. We've had lots of pre, you know pr- practice time. Obviously, we did, we played a, we played you know half a game against Scotland. We we had Georgia in playing against us last Wednesday, and we've had London Scottish, and obviously we've got Os- Osprey. So, um, you know, we, we we the season's long enough without having too many friendlies you know so that, and there's no such thing as a friendly and we've got some good players missing and we don't want to expose uh, our squad to too many games and, and risk injury because there's always a risk when you play so um, no I think we'll be right look it's um, you know, we, we Scottish a week of no games Ospreys a week of no games and then into Zebra so we hit Zebra and then you know I'm not quite sure whether we play three games have a week off and then Go 12 on the trot or whatever it is. 13 on the trot seems a bit bizarre, but um, you know, and the, and the games will come thick and fast. So we've got to um, look after our players. We'll have attrition, no doubt, from the World Cup from from Scotland. Um, guys will come back. They'll, um, you know, in, on an individual basis, that they'll need certain periods of rest and recuperation um, before they before they come back in. And you know, obviously, then a big Six Nations and a big summer tour. So has it been a slightly awkward pre-season with so many play- players coming in out of the Scotland camp? Obviously, the Virginia camp in your case as well yeah. and all of that no not really because once the lads are gone they're gone so you know um, apart from when they start cutting squads down from 40 to 30 31 32 um, you know we pretty much you know we pretty much know who's going to be missing there's all there was always the odd player potentially going to come back because um, you know I think it's a good thing that it's a difficult selection for, for Gregor and, and some good players haven't made the plane I mean it shows the strength and depth that Scotland are building so um, no well, look we were you know, we were pretty much resigned to, to losing 
most of our forward pack and it makes sense doesn't it so um, hopefully we've recruited to suit that and and we will be in good shape for when we we start on the 28th that trial sounds like a pretty tasty game Magnus picked up a bump in it as well yeah. and one or two others oh that well you know you, you say it's friendly when there's no league points it's, it's that that's the difference you know that's the only difference like it's always very physical especially when you're playing against a test team who are trying to get um, uh, World Cup spots everybody's out to to, to prove their point so um, no it was worthwhile I mean obviously Maggie got a, a dent on his ribs and we had Mikey Valimze so it happens but um, that, that's just the game isn't it someone's got to fall out on there you know Jamie obviously with injury if, if that comes back negative or uh, and Maggie gets his opportunity or you know Jamie gets the good news and he gets the green light he'll be fit at some point and then Maggie has to come home so look it's um We'll get back when we get back. I wouldn't wish ill on Jamie and I wouldn't wish Maggie to come back to us. You know, I hope they, they get an opportunity either or someone's going to come back. That's just the nature of it. But look, it's um, it's a it's a tough tournament that, you know, the guys that there'll be lots of guys that there'll be two or three guys that haven't gone that will go and end up having a big part in what Scotland do in the World Cup. So um, we, we've got what we've got. The World Cup's, a, 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 you know, for most guys is, is a once in a lifetime opportunity and um, we want as many of as the Edinburgh boys in there as we can. Richard Cockrell, the Edinburgh head coach, hoping for even more involvement from his club than the 10 players who are already with the Scotland squad. Before I let him go, one final little tidbit from Richard. Uh, Lewis Carmichael picked up a knee injury last season. We were a bit uncertain exactly when he would be back. Here's the news. Lewis had a knee surgery at the end of, um, uh, well, uh, just before Christmas, and he's he's recovered from that, and he's training very well, and he's looking very good. So Lewis Carmichael will be involved, um, as, as will Duan. Duhan there being Duhan van der Merve, the wing who apparently went down with tonsillitis or as Richard Cockrell preferred to call it, a sore throat. Uh, as I said, that was Richard Cockrell, the Edinburgh head coach, uh, talking about his season. Now, the opposite thing have been going on at Glasgow. They had a pretty ropey time last week out in Ulster in their first pre-season warm-up match. Uh, they had a reasonable first half hour or so were actually leading Ulster relatively comfortably at one point in the proceedings but then they started to introduce the fringe players and kind of fell apart which is a bit unfortunate so I spoke to Dave Rennie I wondered how they were getting on with recovering from that sort of thrashing. I thought Ulster were excellent Um, not too many teams would have highlighted our flaws as well as they did and so yeah, we had a lot of young men on the field. Uh, we were keen to to give everyone a crack because they've been working hard for so long. And um, yeah, we got exposed more around systems and and uh, connections and so on and so on. So so that's been good. That's a chance for us to reflect on that and be better. Well, halfway decent first half when you had your more senior players on the field, but it kind of fell apart when you brought the juniors on. Yeah, but I mean to be fair. Um, we tried to have two pretty balanced sides. We had a few defections during the week and um, probably ended up meaning we put a couple more young boys in the second half team. So uh, a lot of people learned lots from that. Uh, the good men, they've been working hard. and um, So it was great to give them an idea of you know the level and the intensity. And like I say, I, was, I thought I was were excellent. I think we've got um, 11 guys who didn't strip last week coming in. Um, so some of them are boys who have been away with international footy. 
or um, some of the long-term injured who um, weren't quite ready for last week. And so yeah, so you mix those guys in with um, you know a big chunk of last week's squad, and you know we've got, we've got a fair bit more experience and on the field, but. Um, you know, so we, we'd expect to see a better performance. How awkward though is this period when you are looking at starting a season without any of your main players, any of your absolutely key players? Um, oh look, we got, we've still got a pretty good squad. As we've shown um, over the last couple of years, we, we went a lot of footy without our internationals. And you know, look, we've known about this and we've planned for it. Um, yeah, so look, it is what it is. But um, we've got a lot of confidence in the guys we've got. And, you know, when, I guess when you see us assembling uh, to cheaters, we think we'll be able to take a pretty good side over there. When you do travel to the cheaters, that's going to be an awkward game as well, just simply starting the season so far away from home and that's the comfort zone. Is that also a big chance to make a statement? Yeah, I'll carry cup champions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they'll be really well oiled, aren't they? They've, they've played a lot of footy together. Um, they're going to get a couple of weeks off now to freshen up and then rip into us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great test. And... Um, you know, but we've we've played there twice and won twice. We, you know, we know what's required. It's um, there's lots to talk about altitude and so on and so on. But they play a fast brand of footy, and um, often the key to playing the cheaters is looking after the ball, forcing them to make a lot of tackles. Dave Rennie looking forward to the game against Ulster this weekend and to the start of the season a couple of weeks later out in South Africa. But there are still some unresolved issues as far as Glasgow are concerned, including the question of who is going to replace Stuart Hogg at fullback. And as you will hear, apart from the obvious ones, Rennie has an intriguing solution. No, we've got some options. We um, we started Glenn Bryce last week. He played really well. He's really impressed us during the pre-season. Um, not too dissimilar to Hoggy. Uh, really good skill set, uh, quick, and um, so look, he, he's gone great. You'll see him in the mix again this weekend. Obviously, uh, Jacko's uh, come back in the reckoning. He's had a little bit of a groin injury, but um, so Jacko's an option there. Uh, you know, we've obviously used Tommy Seymour there in the past, and. With the depth we've got out wide, it's not a bad option. And to be honest, we've also talked about playing Hugh Jones there, who uh, would really suit our style of game. And we've got a lot of really good midfielders, and and Hugh's um, he's, he's interested in that as well. So in the end, he wants to cement the centre position. And uh, obviously disappointed to be back uh, prior to the World Cup, but attitude's been great. Um, he'll get a start this week and uh, chance to push uh, for a starting spot against the Cheetahs. We, uh, with Matt and with um, Hugh, we offered them to have a week off and then come back in this week, but both of them were keen to get back in, get their head around things, and uh, so that's credit to them. And Obviously, we weren't going to use them last week, but um, they'll both get some game time this week. What do you do with guys like that? Though? Just a sort of arm around them, and, uh, or do you just ignore that completely, pretend you know, focus on what Glasgow are doing? Oh, no, you got to get an arm around them. I mean, they're disappointed, but our job is to help them bounce back quickly. Uh, there's going to be injuries um, either pre or during the World Cup and you know, we want those guys playing really well so when Greg is looking at a, a replacement he's looking at those boys so um, yeah we're going we're to help them uh, try and uh, you know, be the best option if someone gets broken. David Rennie, the Glasgow Warriors head coach, uh, telling me about his plans and intriguingly the one about the possibility of playing Hugh Jones at a fullback, which uh, might solve one or two problems, not just for Glasgow, 
but also for Hugh Jones himself. Uh, you will also have noticed, incidentally, that uh, the forwards were training quite aggressively and enthusiastically in the background. Not much we can do about that. Forwards are inevitably noisy. Uh, one other piece of news, incidentally, from Glasgow this afternoon. They announced that they have signed a new Lucid prop, Aki Siuli, from the Highlanders in New Zealand. He won't actually join until October, which uh, is an intriguing piece of business, given that by the time uh, he's here, you would expect the Scotland World Cup players either to be back or to be imminently back. Um, talking about which, let's get on with having a look at the World Cup and starting a bit more of the build-up to the World Cup, which is going to be going on and is intriguing everybody. Now, one of the close calls beforehand that had a lot of people talking, including myself, I've got to admit, uh, was who they were going to pick at centre. I thought they were going to go with Rory Hutchison, and in the end, Gregor Townsend proved me wrong by going with Chris Harris. Now, Chris Harris was at Newcastle last season. Newcastle got relegated and he was able to negotiate for himself a deal to go down to Gloucester instead. So when I grabbed hold of him, the first question was whether he's ever actually been to Gloucester where he's going to be playing next season. Went down in. Uh, we had that two weeks off, so I went. I went down. Was that in July, sort of time? Sort of. I went. Went and showed my face. Met all the boys. It was their first day of pre-season, so it hasn't been a, a long period that I've that I've been down there. But I, I, I've been down there, introduced myself. But the boys down there are, are brilliant. It's worked. It's worked out nicely. It's worked out very nicely. I'm very happy. Were you worried at all? Because everybody talking about Rory Hunterson and uh, after his game of the weekend. Uh, I was not necessarily worried. I was a bit, a bit sort of nervous as you are before, before you, you find out. But I know myself that I've done all I can. Uh, I've, I feel like I've put everything into the training, and uh, I gave it a good crack in that France at home game. So I, I was ultimately, I was happy with where I, where I was and what what I'd done. And ultimately, it was just, it was completely out of my hands there on. So it's kind of like a little, little bit of worry, but not, not too worried. It's one of those things. You know, you've done everything you possibly could have done this you've left everything out there and if it doesn't happen well that's not because that's the thing. If, if it didn't happen then like there's nothing I could there's nothing I could have done but, well maybe there was a little bit that you could do better but like I was happy with where I was yeah if I didn't get picked after putting in as much effort as I could if, if I hadn't put in a performance or I'd been training poorly or whatever then I would have been disappointed in myself but I could have been could have held my head high that France game must have been a big breakthrough for you both in terms of your personal confidence and in the public perception of you as a player uh, no it massively is uh, I was just, as I say like, I was just happy with how I played and uh, it has it has boosted my confidence a bit um, in terms of the public perception like I try not to to, to sort of you don't listen to us basically I, 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 no not, not that it's more like the other stuff that goes on like, I, just, I try and like sort of focus on on myself and all that so but it is nice to, to know that that I've kind of shown look I'm um, I'm um, good enough to be here. And you look at the players around you, there are some pretty tasty talent to play with. There must be quite an exciting back division to be part of. Oh, there's a lot of good backs and there's a lot of good backs that aren't actually here. So we're in, we're in a fortunate position as a, as a squad to have such quality and I think we'll, 
we'll go to Japan and just really really test test the opposite of the opposition. And you look at I know does Greg who actually laid on the try for you in France, but playing outside Finn must be a delight as a as a three quarter. Yeah, he's a he's a quality player and he's he's a he's a joy to, to play outside of as a as a centre. So he uh, he create creates a lot and, and he picks all the right options. So yeah, he's uh, he's not bad. I thought yourself that uh, you came in at the beginning of last season. How much do you think you've come on as a player since then? I, th- I think I've I've come on pretty well. I think I think being honest, I think it's uh, I've sort of taken a bit longer than I would have liked to sort of settle in and put in some performances. But ultimately, I'm happy with where I am now, and I'm and I'm in the World Cup squad, so I, yeah. can't, I can't complain. You can't complain about that. Nah, no. no. But when you had the, you know your, your first cap with that one down in Wales, were you worried that that might have been it for you as an international, or were you always confident you're going to get a second go? Uh, Look, that, I don't know. I've, that's another one of them games where I'm just kind of like, it, it didn't happen really. Uh, it's, it's happened, and I'm sort of hoping that the media and, <laughs> and uh, that's that's what we were saying before. Like that, that's when I did sort of think about other people's perceptions, the media's yeah. perceptions, and that I think affected me. And that, that's why I've kind yeah, of see that. try and bury it in that. Not without any disrespect, like I just. I just need to focus on myself and I think that game was a massive learning curve for me. Uh, probably a learning curve for a lot of people but no, def- it's definitely something that that's happened and I've learned from really. And it's also been a bit not just the World Cup, it's a big year for you personally as well with a bit change of clubs as well. Yeah. How easy is that going to be to adapt to as well? Because there's some pretty tasty talent down at Gloucester as well. Uh, very, very good players at Gloucester, they, they had a brilliant season last year and uh, I hope I can go down there and, and add to, to the quality that they've already got and see if we can go and win something down there. It'll be, it'll be a weird one, that the fact that I've uh, that I've uh, not really been there for longer than sort of four hours or something. Um, so it'll be interesting going into the club so late, but now I'm looking forward to it. It's a fresh start. It'll be, it'll be something new. So it must have been a wee bit difficult last season with the way Newcastle season was going to keep your levels up to where you would expect, need them to be for international rugby. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a difficult one. Uh, uh, it was very stress. It was, it was very stressful, and it was it was just sort of. I don't know, man. It was—it was a diff- It was just—it's hard to put, sort of describe how it was. It was really, really bizarre. From going from finishing fourth the year before to sort of battling out, scraping points, and it, it was—it was a tough time on on all the boys there. Like, uh, and I'm, and I was devastated the fact that we got relegated. Honestly, was absolutely devastated. It was a tough. It was a tough time. In the meantime, you're looking forward to Japan. How much is just Japan itself going to be an experience for you? Do you think? Oh, no. Never mind the World Cup. Yeah, it's, it's a different culture, isn't it? It's, it's gonna, I've, I've never been. Uh, a few of the boys have been before, and they said it's a fantastic place. So I'm just excited. I'm can't, can't wait to get there and just sort of explore, see see what's what, see what there is out there. I think it will be a, a very uh, a very interesting experience. That's for sure. Are you a culture buff at all? Are you likely to go around exploring temples and all the rest of it? I'll, I'll be open to, to having a look at things. Uh, in my in my holidays in the past, I've been here, there, and everywhere. I quite, quite enjoy seeing seeing different cultures. So that'll be. Uh, I'm I'm just really looking forward to it. Like. 
Chris Harris, really, really looking forward to it. And good luck to him. He was one of those who probably in his heart of hearts came into the camp not really expecting to go, hoping, but certainly not expecting to go. And it has all gone right for him and well done. And that is out for the first half of the programme. Quick ad break. I'll be back with more afterwards. Thursdays at 8pm, F1, Rally, Formula E, Touring Cars and MotoGP. The motorsports season is well and truly underway and Rock Sport Radio is already spinning wheels and burning rubber. Andy Alston and Adam Todd are on the starting grid every Thursday from 8pm to bring you news and comments on pole position. A petrol head's dream. Try a lap or two with the guys. Pole position on Rock Sport Radio. Motorpoint, we've put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers. Let the experts manage your waste. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank, even if you no longer have it or the paperwork, just text GOOD to 6677 to discover how much you could be owed. That's GOOD to 6677. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Welcome back. Well, before the break, we were talking to Chris Harris about his experience of coming in to the squad and winning a place uh, slightly, possibly, arguably against the odds. Now, one of the opposite extreme, we have a player like John Barkley. Now, personally, I think it's an absolute disgrace that John didn't go to the 2015 World Cup. Water under the bridge, of course. Nothing we can do about it now. But nevertheless, he was certainly playing well enough at the time to have justified the place. And players who weren't playing as well as him, I think, did go to the World Cup. And so this should be him making his way to his fourth World Cup. So when I caught up with him, that was a very obvious place to start. Where third World Cup should be four. Four would have been nice, but threes. If you told me last World Cup that I would have not been picked, and then you know four years later I would have been able to captain my country and get picked for the next one, I probably would have. I would have taken that. So. I look at this World Cup. How different has the preparations and the build-up been to what it was four years ago and the two before that as well? 
They've all been different, to be honest. Um, if I look at my yeah, the 2007 was about bulking up, so I didn't run, hardly run. Uh, 2011 then was about running loads with hardly any gym, so I ran loads. Um, yeah, and last week, last week up, this one are reasonably similar, but um, we haven't run without the ball here, which is the first time in my career I've ever done a preseason where I've never run without the ball. So um, it's been great. I, I just think you know, the longer you play, the more you enjoy these these uh, being together and the chance to be together with all the boys. So last season, when you didn't get to play at all until you with that Achilles problem. Were you worried that uh, that was also going to cost you a World Cup, a chance at a World Cup as well? Yeah, it was sort of lingering in the back of my mind when things were kind of return to play days were getting pushed back by a month and another two months and another month. I was kind of thinking, well, maybe you know, time's running out. And you know, I was watching Six Nations. I'm not an idiot. I know the guys went well who played. I, mean, I play Adam with you know Jamie and Magnus, uh, Hamish. I know these guys. I know that the Adam guys, uh, the Glass guys. So. Yeah, I, I was always kind of aware. I, was like, I need, to, I need to get back and play. Uh, but at the same time, I couldn't, I couldn't afford, we couldn't make it happen faster. So, um, but it was definitely like, a, I guess, a stress for me at the time. I was like, you know, I'm desperate to go to the World Cup. Once the Six Nation was written off as a, as a target, I was like, I got to get fit for the World Cup after having missed the one four years ago. Well, Kitty is. It, it seemed to be more of a problem, even more of a problem even than had been originally projected. Yeah, I think so. But looking back, I probably would have. And then looking at you know other people coming out from Achilles, it takes about a year, and we were trying to do it in seven months. So I think it was you can call it a setback, but maybe if we'd had a different timeline, it would have been oh, I've come back earlier than. So I don't know if it's a different ways to look at it, isn't there? I think <laughs> I think the nature of my injury, it was a bad rupture, and it was you know I'd had problems with it before, so it was it was always going to take a bit of time, and then I got a blood clot in it, which after surgery, which then slowed things down even further. So um, it was a bit of a nightmare, but to be honest, now. It feels I've not had any issues with this since I come back. I've seen a lot of guys, not, I've seen a few guys rupture their Achilles and have lingering problems on and on and on, and I've not had any issues since I've come back. So, you know, I felt good playing for Edinburgh when I came back. Um, and then obviously the big summer off, which probably come at the wrong time for me, having just played, you know, four or five games at the tail of the year. But yeah, the first, the first game against France is always going to be, is always going to be a tough ask for us. Um, but certainly, the, I felt good in the, the home game for 35, 36 minutes, however long I played. And then last week I felt good again. It was, a, you know, not a, one of the prettiest of games. I, I've watched a few of the warm-up games, and none of the games I've been that impressed with in terms of the quality. So um, I think for me, it's about making sure I'm in my best shape possible and going to the World Cup and to be allowing me to perform to my best. Talking about that French game, have you any ambitions for a career in the second row? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure there are many teams we're looking at thinking I'll be playing second row. But hey, juicy calls, you've got to do it. <laughs> juicy calls, as you say, but it must have been an interesting sort of 10 minutes or so. To, to look at the size of that, the French pack as well. They brought in Taufé Fenua, who's 145 kilos, and I, and I, I was probably down to about 103 after sweating about four kilos out. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty tricky, but a bit of an experience. But you got through it okay. Got through, you got okay. through it okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How been through it so often before though how exciting is just the whole build up of the World Cup and the World Cup itself yeah I, I, to be honest I think in 2007 2011 I probably didn't understand it I think I was too young or just a bit naive potentially to understand how, how big a deal it was and you know four years ago I was desperate to go didn't go and then having seen it and I think maybe when you get towards the, the latter stages of your career you can see how special these things are and, See the guys that aren't picked. You know, the, you know these guys are gutted to not go. So um, yeah, it's massive to, to be to be to picked again. And you look at the team around you. How does it compare with the ones that you've seen before? 
I think everyone always thinks that the squad that you're in is the best squad. I think that's the nature. You know, people are gen you know, styles evolving and players are coming in. The, the, the game's getting, you know, you know, faster or whatever, more skillful, defense game better. So I think the squads are always the best you've been involved in. But I think this seems to have had the most depth. Um, to it and Guy, I think Guy's genuinely played very well in the warmers and didn't get picked still, so that tells its own story. Uh, have you been to Japan before? Yeah, well, we toured there two years ago, but I went I went on a school tour there uh, with Dollar in 2000. And I went twice with Dollar, 2004 and 2002. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I know it well from spending a couple of weeks there in the last 15 years, but uh, I love touring. I've always, whenever I've spoken to you, I love going on tour. I, you know, it's, it's hard being away from your family, especially now I've got kids, but I love going on tour and being in different cultures. And for me, that's what it's kind of all about is going and especially to have a World Cup there. I think it's going to be awesome. And I kind of get the impression you're the kind of guy who will go and absorb the local culture, go out and explore the, the places that aren't around yeah. the temples. And yeah, definitely. I don't want to sit in my room for you know however many weeks we're there. Uh, I always share room with Ryan, so he's always keen to go out and explore as well. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be out exploring when we can. I love the food. I love the I love the lifestyle there. So yeah, we'll try and make the most of it uh, and make sure. I think it's important when you go away to make sure you're not just there. I think you you generally play better rugby if you're out there and you're happy and you're you know doing different things and doing things as a squad and building your squad culture and everyone's happy. And you're a bit more relaxed about everything as well, and that allows you to turn it on better the games. Yeah, I think so. I think we've done enough training now, and there's going to be a lot of training out there, and there's going to be a lot of rugby out there. So for me, you know, for me, that balance of switch off, get away from it, enjoy yourselves. And I, I think that's having kids has probably allowed me to do that, is just to have a bit more balance to see like I'll come and train. I'll, I always train hard. I think I've, I've always done that. I've always prided myself on my standards. But when I'm away, once I've done my homework, I'll you know I'll relax, have a beer, go and see a bit of Japan, or you know go and pick up some of the culture and see what we do, what we can do to actually have fun. Japan is such a different culture that you can just switch off completely. You're not going to get anything about the sort of any hang-up from the sort of European background. Yeah, I don't think so. But I think I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be just mad over there. I don't know. I've got the feeling it could be bonkers out there with the World Cup there. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, I'll be I'll be going out and spe yeah spending as much time out of the hotel as I can because I get sort of cabin fever. I don't want to be sort of stuck in my room for X number of weeks. Yeah, can I hire you as a guide? Yeah, <laughs> you take Ryan. He's quite good. Yeah, but when you look at the two games that everybody's obviously talking about are the Ireland game first up and then the Japan game last up. Is there a danger that people kind of overlook Samoa? I don't think anyone outside this group will overlook Samoa. I think that's kind of the media stuff is to look at Ireland as the, you know, the I guess the, the highest seed in our pool, and then look at Japan as the host and the sort of emerging nation. But we've got enough experience playing the South Pacific teams to know how hard they are. So yeah, we're certainly. There won't be any sort of complacency from our side playing against them. <laughs> what did you do during the last World Cup? Did you just uh, try and get away from it completely, or were you sort of sitting there and tender who's on the watch um, I didn't watch any of it. I didn't watch a single game. I actually caught the last um, maybe 20 minutes of the Australia game because my dad said, You probably want to watch this. Uh, I didn't watch any of it. I went straight back and played for Scarlet. So the week after I was dropped left, I drove back down on Monday and I played for Scarlet against Glasgow on the Friday, back up in Scotland. So, uh, yeah, um, so I just went back into, I think that was the, the blessing was being away from Scotland at that time when I wasn't getting picked because I was away and I was part of a squad that was going, kind of going somewhere. Yeah, part of that Scarlet squad. That was yeah, definitely. That was part of the sort of start of that journey of being at Scarlet and doing so well. So 
Yeah, I didn't watch any of it though. That's uh, the truth. I think I think I maybe watched the final. Um, yeah, I got a young family stuff, so I was like, yeah, being just being a dad and just kind of trying to take you know get away from it a bit. John Barkley on the delight of being a snubbed rugby player uh, at the time of the World Cup. I think it's interesting. He did feel that one of the big advantages he was saying at the end there was being able to get out of Scotland, away from the bubble. And so he was able to be in a position where people were talking to him in a very positive way about what he was doing and not getting all the negativity about uh, being left out of the Scotland squad. Now, I did promise for those who follow me on Twitter that uh, I was going to ask Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times to come along and help me to explain it all and I'm delighted to say that Mark has graciously agreed to do exactly that and he's on the line. Good evening Mark, how are you? Good evening, Lewis. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Looking forward to having all these explanations. Start off, though, Mark. Uh, Quite the tee-up. <laughs> <laughs> we can start off, though. Jamie Ritchie is still in Japan, is heading for Japan. Uh, we'll take off, I believe, tomorrow morning and get there sometime latish evening. Magnus Bradbury is still in Japan. Uh, what do you think is going on? Well, there's some kind of cut-off, isn't there, the weekend, which I think anybody that you, who's kind of a bit of a hanger-on at this point, i.e. not part of the formal 31, has to be out of there. But by that point of the weekend, um, Magnus Bradbury obviously travelled as a sort of cautionary cover for uh, for Jamie Ritchie, who had that a bit of a dunt to his face in the, in the Georgia game last Friday night. And at the time, I think everybody was, was holding their breath and wondering, um, you know, if that was going to put him out of, of the tournament. It was one of those, had it been uh, as serious as it initially looked, then it, it almost certainly would have. But um, great that it hasn't, obviously, particularly if he's probably been the, uh, the back row forward that's had to scrap the hardest to actually to get his place, uh, some really good performances in the Six Nations, and, and also even you know in the Nice game, when, when all else, everything else around him was, was falling to the ground, he managed to he managed to hang in there. So really good news that he seems to be fit to travel, and uh, we'll hopefully be there just for you, I think, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> just before me, indeed. But, uh, but the way that it seems to be going, the fact that they're keeping Magnus Bradbury hanging on until I believe the cut-off date is, time is on Saturday sometime. Uh, so the fact mm. they're keeping Magnus hanging on until the last possible moment to decide suggests to me that they're not absolutely 100% sure exactly when Richie, Jamie Ritchie is going to be back and available again. Is that something of a concern if he presumably is unlikely to play the Ireland game and if they're still worrying about him being available for Samoa? I wonder anyway, you know, thinking it through, I, I didn't initially had the same thought as yourself, is that, you know, why would they be hanging on if, they, if there was that element of doubt? But um, actually, potentially he wasn't going to be involved against Ireland anyway, if you think that it may end up being a a Barkley, Watson, Thompson back row, and then maybe a more versatile back row like um, Brian Wilson on the bench, possibly. So there may have been a thinking that you know they can maybe do without him for the first match. Uh, I suppose there was also a sort of practical element that you know when you take that facial injury in terms of the, the impact of a long haul flight and, and how comfortable that's going to be. Otherwise, uh, when it happened late on a Friday night, they're flying out very early on the Monday morning. That you know. That will also have been a factor in terms of when they, they deemed he was fit to get out of. So you'd imagine they'll take a good look at him when he does get there and hopefully shrug off the first sort of throws of jet lag and 
you know, hopefully be good to go. It's unfortunate for, for Magnus if he's gone all that way and held a couple of bags and then we'll, we'll be back in Edinburgh before he knows it. But um, I suppose he does have the, the benefit of knowing that he is clearly sort of next cab off the bank if, if something does happen. Which is that important thing from his point of view, because obviously after picking up that rib injury, ironically playing against his own club, that uh, he must have known that that was likely to cost him a decent chance of a place, because there's so much competition in the back row, they weren't going to take somebody who hadn't proved himself to them. Yeah, and he's clearly very valued, Magnus, for that you know that physicality. Um, they, you know, they've uh, played Thompson. will hopefully bring that for me as well. But uh, given that they've dispensed with, with Josh Strauss, he's not going. Obviously, Matt Ferguson as well. Uh, another number eight didn't make it. So it's, it's a very big sort of vote of confidence in Magnus. I think that he is kind of deemed to be the next cab off the rank, even though he, he didn't get a chance to to demonstrate anything in the warm-up games because of that injury you mentioned. Whereas you know Matt Ferguson did and probably did reasonably well. I thought um, with the opportunity as he had, but the, uh, it's probably just that little bit more the, the physicality that gives uh, that gives Bradbury the edge. And you're looking at that team that's going to be put out against Ireland, that a lot of that team you can pretty much name now. Which of the positions do you think that are still up for grabs? I mean, wing, I suspect, is one, centre's obviously another, scrum half possibly as well? Possibly, although, you know, my own take on it would be that it absolutely has to be Greg Laidlaw at this point in terms of the game management, the way he dovetails with Finn Russell and, and, and just that complete package uh, that, that Laidlaw offers despite his, um, you know, the obvious, there are obviously elements of his game that are, are not as slick as Ali Price's or, or George Horns, but I think at the moment where he is, Scotland just can't afford to be without him in a a game of that pressure and of that importance. I don't think Finn Russell can afford to do without him in a game of that pressure and importance either. Um, Saints, as you mentioned, I, I think, you know, I was impressed with that first outing of the, the Johnson-Taylor access. I thought that went reasonably well. Both very intelligent rugby players. I think they've probably, you know, made a, made a good case there to, to reprise that in the first game. Uh, second row is an interesting one as well, possibly, isn't it? I mean, Johnny will have one of them, you'd imagine. But, you know, Scott Cummings has made a really good late run both at the end of last season and, uh, you know, in, in the warm-up games. Grant Gilchrist, obviously, has loads of experience on him. Ben Tuas as well. So there's a lot of kind of competition there. Uh, and on the wing, I, 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 see, I, I would still go with that sort of time-honoured unit of uh, Hogg, Maitland, uh, Seymour. I think Tommy's aerial ability would probably win him the day on, on this occasion. Uh, and it's just that cohesion that they have as a unit. But, but certainly Darcy Graham has, um, has, has really kind of got the bit between the teeth and uh, has taken every opportunity that's been put in front of him since he, he really only sort of burst into that the Edinburgh team this time last year in terms of, you know, kneeling down the place. But ever since then, it's been a very kind of uh, steeply upward trajectory, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a question, I think, one of those... I think it's one of those where the... It's a, what you wonder whether Matt Taylor, as the defence coach, is the loudest voice in the selection meeting or whether the more attack-minded people have the loudest voice because there's no doubt if you're going forward then Darcy does add an extra dimension to the attack but as you say he is quite small and uh, the Irish wings are reasonably large and quite agile at getting round people but also of course you've got the Johnny Sexton aerial bombardment to take into account mm -hmm. and Tommy Seymour and Sean Maitland have looked after that a number of times know what to expect and know how to handle it 
You're right, and I think, you know, I would have Darcy involved in some capacity. I think he'd probably be a, a, a cracking guy to come off the, the bench when the game breaks up. And I certainly, you know, if, if he were to start, I wouldn't have any worries whatsoever about him in the, the physical stakes. We know that he punches well over his weight and in attacking the fe- defence with him, with him without the ball. He's one of the most, you know, ferocious little guys that you, you, you see in the, in the modern game. He's great to watch and incredible strength for that sort of low centre of gravity as well. Uh, sort of defies his size. Um, an interesting point you make about defence, you know, certainly Matt Taylor, I think, has been kind of always to the front of the conversation over the summer in terms of where priorities lie. And it was interesting to hear Gregor last week at the squad announcement saying that in some of these marginal calls, he had gone with the better defenders, um, which, um, you know, certainly in the centres, you know, Taylor and Johnson are both very proficient defensively. Taylor, you know, has played that sort of pivotal defensive 13 position as well, but it can also offer uh, a lot in attack. Um, you know, I'd imagine that they probably will they will get the nod, and it's been at the expense, obviously, of the two more. Um, I don't know what you call them, box office X Factor 13, Stu Jones and Rory Hutchinson, who are left at home. And I have to say, I'm surprised that at least one of them, and probably that that would be Hutchinson at this point, didn't make it. I thought he would take one. Um, so to to leave both behind, you know, Gregor set out the stall that you know the more sort of solid all round package has, has won the day with guys like Harris and um, uh, Taylor and Johnson. Well, I was saying that when I, at the time that the squad was announced, I thought the uh, Chris Harris over Rory Hutchison was a very un Gregor Townsend selection, mm-hmm. particularly given the sort of things that we got used to him doing when he was uh, at Glasgow. And I wondered how much that was him basically being you know, told you cannot afford to have anybody who isn't absolutely rock solid in defence. Because you look at what happened down at Twickenham in uh, you know, the, certainly the first half, and uh, the defence leaked like a sieve. And you, they're looking at that and they're saying to each other, well, we cannot afford to let that happen against Ireland. And that is going to be the key big game as far as they're concerned at the moment. They can't be looking at the Japan game already. They've got to be concentrating on that Ireland match, haven't they? Agreed, and you know that will that will come sharply into focus soon enough. For Japan, and you know, and also Samoa, but and that's another reason why they have to very much take it sequentially because you know there's sort of danger around a number of corners in this pool. So you know, first up, get eye on them. They've not. You know, it's hard to know what to make of their, their form in the warm-up matches. There's a, there's a number of countries where you probably feel that you've, you've not really seen a true picture of, of what they'll do once the tournament arrives. Um, are they holding things back? Have they been playing within themselves? But, you know, there's a sense that Ireland are more vulnerable than they have been probably at any point in the last two years or the sort of second half of this World Cup cycle. Um, you'd like to think that Scotland can apply some pressure there. Um, again, it's going to be, you know, they absolutely have to be on it in defence and, and, and those kind of physical stakes because that's where Ireland will come hunting for them, you know, that kind of relentless uh, carrying game that they have and then sort of Sexton and uh, Murray start to buzz around and release the guys out wide. So it, it, I think it's really fascinating. You know, you, it doesn't take too much of a leap of faith to think Scotland could win the game, but it's going to be a very, very, very difficult ask as always. Well, given that Ireland are now, of course, number one ranked team in the world, and I think it's one Must of these... be our turn next week. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's one of these things that I don't think people have fully appreciated that, of course, they that when they got things like that hammering down at Twickenham, a it was at England's ground where they, like us, have always struggled to produce their best rugby. But b it was a game where they didn't 
deliberately didn't play Johnny Sexton and a couple of other players as well, James Ryan and a few others. Uh, and then Joey Carberry, who started a fly half, got injured. So they were disrupted and they kind of fell apart a bit. But when they put out that absolutely flat-out team, which they will do, obviously, in the World Cup against us, it is a team which has always found a way to win against us. Exactly. And I, th- I think... Um you know, there was that school of thought that did this kind of core of uh, vastly experienced and ultimately vastly successful Irish players to peak sort of too soon with you know the incredible exploits of the last eighteen months or so. But I, I, I'm not buying it 100 percent at the moment. I have to say, I think um, you know there's, there's such, some such ferocious competitors and their real winners like Sexton. Murray, guys like that, I, I, I think they will have something left in them, particularly as this one last hurrah for Joe Schmidt as well. I mean, that's a big driver for them. And I know that can go one of two ways when you know the coach is moving on and it can fall away, but I, I honestly don't think that will be the case. And certainly, you know, they, they've been gunning for this first match for, ever since it was it was scheduled a couple of years back, you know, to the same extent that we have. So um, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be fascinating and you know whoever, whoever comes out on top there really does put their best foot forward for the rest of the pool a defeat isn't terminal for either side but you know you, you don't want to be putting in that position where your back's against the wall from, from day one do you no, and Ireland go into it with the benefit of knowing that they are actually capable of beating both New Zealand and South Africa. We, of course, have never beaten New Zealand, who would be potentially our quarter-final opponent. South Africa would be the alternative, and we haven't beaten them for a while, uh, and we've never beaten them outside Murrayfield. But, uh, so they probably go in as favourites. Yeah, I think so, and it's probably not the worst place to be. You know, it's a slight, a, a slight cliche with Scotland, but we generally are com- more comfortable, aren't we, when when, when people think that, that there's, you know, that, that we aren't going to win, or the expectation isn't significant that we're going to win. Um, but you know, I, I think it, it, is, it is important that you know, that, you know, if they can do it on the first game, I mean, if you think of the, the sort of confidence boost that would provide for the rest of the campaign, you're then going into it. It's potentially a, a slightly dicey second game against the world, thinking, well, we absolutely are going to win this. Um, whereas if you're already, um, your back's already against the wall with a defeat in the first game, that again, the danger of that just becomes more magnified. Then, you know, Russia, we'd like to think, is a, a guaranteed win, he said with uh, famous <laughs> last words again his ears. But, you know, given the results against Jersey and Italy recently, you'd think that that one. Uh, that one should be fairly comfortable, and then it would, you know, ultimately there's going to be a lot riding on that final game against Japan. Come what may, isn't there? Whether it's to go through placings, whatever it is in the group, it's going to be a live game, and you know, an absolutely phenomenal occasion. Seventy-two thousand sellout, I believe, already. Yokohama, the whole, never mind the whole of Japan. I think the whole of the rest of the rugby world will want them to go through. But, you know, because it always helps for the momentum of a tournament if the home team, the host team, are doing well. So. Uh, but yeah, one thing at a time. We'll worry about Ireland first. We'll worry, worry, worry about Ireland first. That, uh, and in the meantime, for those who are back in this country, is it going to be you've got Edinburgh, Glasgow starting off their Pro 14 campaigns? Is anybody going to pay pay any attention? Is anybody going to care? Do you think? It's 
tough, isn't it? Because you know, particularly Glasgow lose a, a huge run of players, and Edinburgh are probably more more you know seriously affected than they have been in previous years, and that's you know a reflection of their improvement under Richard Cockrell. But you know, the, the points at this time of the year count just the same as the points when when you know the the, the sides are fully loaded. And I think it is a fascinating time for the, the fans of those clubs because you, you do get a look at guys coming through uh, who really have to step up and um, and deliver. You know, certainly 2011 World Cup guys like Duncan Weir and Ryan Wilson and Stuart Hogg himself really came to the fore with, with Glasgow. That was their time that they kind of they broke through with the big boys away, and then they became the big boys. So it, it is a nice kind of shop window, I think. Period. Absolutely, perfectly timed, Mark. As always, down to the second. Thank you very much indeed. That was Mark Palmer for the Sunday Times, counting us out for this week. That's it for me. Next one from Japan. Good night. Love music, live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio.